0: Hey Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. And Welcome back to A Little Better. Thank you for joining us whether you're watching or listening. Thank you for joining us every week. Uh, For those of you who are super fans, we appreciate your willingness to share and comment or subscribe, rate and review whatever the action that is necessary for you to let us know that you appreciate this. Um, I've even had a few people walk up to me in the last couple of weeks and mention it now that that's a thing that happens in society is normal human interactions. So that's it. That's encouraging. We appreciate it. And I am glad to be back on Drew, one of the many errands
1: in your life, back to ready to be back on the podcast. <laughs> it's good. It's good to have you back. Yeah. I do prefer the other errand just just to let the record to know I do
0: I don't doubt that for a minute you say you're glad to have me back but I kind of doubt that based on how I I listened to that that other podcast I mean this podcast last week and I thought to myself like you know maybe maybe my time is over you know maybe it's time to just let Aaron Wagner one of the Aaron Wagners (laughs) take it over they can pick (laughs) oh my goodness Things would go better and you would probably have more sermon content coming your way rather than, I I don't, Aaron Wagner actually gave you sermon content. I just give you like update injuries for the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know. (laughs) By the way, I'm sorry about Dak. I'm just
1: going to leave it there. That's all right. It's football. You probably should have signed the contract.
0: (laughs) Seriously, everybody says mobile quarterbacks are going to get hurt, and as it turns out, that mobile quarterback got hurt pretty badly. It looked routine, like as he's going down, there looked nothing weird about it, and and then you look and his never mind, it's too graphic.
1: Yeah, seriously.
0: Anyway, all right, let's jump in. Thank you for another great week of Moses. I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed that. It was my last week at the Webster campus, so I uh, enjoyed being able to hear it from there. And I, one of the things that I walked away feeling was, where were the photos of this bad tile that you supposedly laid? I was like, I need evidence.
1: <laughs> that might be the days before we had cell phones. I don't know. No, I, you know, I bet you there are some... Uh, somewhere in the internet sphere of at one of our phones or the iCloud, but yeah, I don't know. It was, I mean, it's not hard to picture. It was white tile with like yellowish grout lines. I don't listen if you're gonna put tile in, white tile is you know, we do subway tile, that's white tile, so white tile is not a bad thing. But when you go white, white tile, go dark grout because in a bathroom, white grout tends to take on a color of whatever substance it is so i'll let your imagination run with that just go dark grout okay that's my advice for you from a home project i'm not even a designer my wife's the designer but you just just go dark grout
0: there are some there are some liquids that are that frequent the floor of bathrooms that can stain things now, if
1: you got kids i mean let's let's be let's be honest, you never know where that liquid's going, so yeah, well, it's probably not just kids let's if we had to be honest with
0: ourselves in the world, but anyway, moving on, <laughs> I'm wondering if you have a photo of the tile you put in, say nothing about the tile that was there before. you described it so bad. I just am like,
1: who is the poor person that has to now have this, or did you like rip it out? No when we sold that house, that tile was still there. You know what I did is I bought this like grout filler so I filled in the grout afterwards so I like did like a two fill in grout so I tried to get all the grout fix the lines there's nothing you could do about it it wasn't like horrible but you could definitely be like a professional did not put that in (laughs) (laughs) but in my defense I've seen some work of professionals or I would have (laughs) said a professional didn't put that in so you know whatever. I'm better at tile now.
0: That's true. Yeah. You know, I've, I've also never done any tile or brick or masonry of any kind. So it would, it would not be pretty. The little spacer things I feel like are supposed to be helpful. I've done like peel and stick tile, but that's a very different thing (laughs) in terms of difficulty that requires the ability to like, it goes back to like kindergarten and can you do stickers that's basically what that is about but um anyway okay so jumping into the you talked about how that was a uh, you know you tried something for the first time and it failed and i actually want to drill in on that in particular when it comes to moses and that um the murdering of the egyptian being his first attempt to free the people of israel because i actually can recall the writing process for this message. Cause I felt like as we were kind of working on it, it was that insight that sort of, I don't know, like redirected our writing perspective. Cause we were writing and trying to like, what are we going to say about this period of Moses' life? And do we just make it all about the burning bush or do we make it like, how do you cover this, you know, basically 40 year section of his life in one week? And what do you pick up on and all that kind of stuff. And it was, if in my recollection, it was reading Acts 7 and going like, oh my goodness, I, I don't know that I, until we were writing this, I don't even know that I knew. I'm sure I've read Acts 7 a hundred times, but I didn't, it never clicked with me that that was actually a real attempt at delivery.
1: Yeah, it, well, when you go to look at Moses' story, most people aren't going to search the New Testament. Right. You know, maybe Hebrews 11, which we looked at, because right. you know it's the heroes of faith. But Stephen, like, you know, it, it is almost random that Stephen mentions Moses in Acts chapter 7. It's kind of like out of the blue. And so you're not necessarily going to Stephen in Acts 7 to be like, mm, let's gain some insight on on Moses. But this is how amazing the text of the Bible is. It, it often, it's not just one, you, you know, most of Moses' stories, Exodus, you know, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch that he wrote the first five books of the Bible, but Who who would have thought Acts 7 would change the trajectory of, you know, our thinking of his life and his actions in in this moment, his life. And it did. It like set a course of where we wanted to to kind of run with uh, this whole deliverance piece.
0: Yeah, because it's like it turns out that that is not just an incidental event in his life about like, oh, yeah, he murdered somebody. And like God uses imperfect people. It's not just that, although it is that it's also this extra layer of like, no. Homie was trying to actually like kickstart a revolution, like mm-hmm. the assassination of the Archduke Ferdinand starting World War One or something like, this man was trying to make something happen and it just utterly failed. So then you have, as you said, this sharp contrast between you know, the first attempt and the second attempt. And I think it is fascinating, too, that Acts 7 has relevant information because Stephen, I mean, he's speaking of the Sanhedrin, uh, it's right before his death, and he's walking through the history of Israel, and he mentions, you know, like, everybody of note, basically, in Israel's history because he's a he's a baller like that. But what I think is interesting is just that he doesn't give, like, source material for how he knows that that was Moses' motives. Because if you're just reading Exodus, I know... I personally don't think there's anything obvious in the text that would indicate that that's what he was trying to do. And so um, obviously, whether it was through oral history or just through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit or whatever, he knew more about Moses than we can immediately grasp if I'm just like reading the text.
1: Right, and, and that, that nugget that he shares changes our interpretation of this story as a whole. Like I think of some of the things Moses says to God when he's calling – they to, they they just now make sense. They're like, what, you know, why is Moses so nervous about what the Israelites are going to think of him? Well, it's because he tried this once and they didn't think much of him. Like it just like his response to God just it has a fuller picture in our mind. The questions he asks, you know, it just gives you this big perspective, and it also makes you realize, like when Moses, this wasn't a rash like moment of anger that that Moses is feeling this might have been like a strategic planned out moment that maybe Moses was like hey here's the time let's let's go israel and like nope it didn't work
0: right yeah it's like you like who's with me and you turn around and like no one's standing there that's what this moment is you're right it's instead it goes from like you know aggravated assault to premeditated murder you know like first yeah. degree this is it's a very different Um, when you recognize it in that context, it's a very different crime. In many ways, it makes the crime a lot worse, right? I mean, it was a crime of opportunity. He sees the, you know, the Egyptian uh, abusing, but that had to be normal enough, you know, not like, maybe not an everyday occurrence, but it had to be somewhat frequent. And he he chooses to like capitalize, as you said, lay aside his privilege, stand in for people who are oppressed. And he does that in a moment, thinking that they're going to be like, yes. (laughs) And he is, you know, like, No Harriet Tubman in this moment. Like nobody, nobody comes running, you know, to to leave slavery. Um, Living
1: godly life. Like it wasn't like he was some jerk of a guy. No, he was forsaking the pleasures of Egypt for Christ's name, and so he's living in this like spiritual moment where he's seeking God and he's trusting in God, and it's that easy. The scary thing is, it's that easy to slip outside of you know, God's will for a back of, lack of a better term, which is easy just to go on your own. That's how easy it is for us as human beings to, to to do things on our own. You get outside of God's plan or jump out of God's plan and too early, you know, like that's, that's so scary. And so I think one thing that we need to take away that I didn't have time to like put, put, put out there really is like, how how easy that is, and how like just because you are living a godly life doesn't mean you can't step out and try to lead on your own, rather with the backing of God.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a an easy mistake to make and an understandable one. I mean, not that any of us probably have ever felt like what the Lord wants me to do is kill someone you know that but just anything that god is calling us to do as you said there's often a gap between our readiness and you know like the timeline basically um and so yeah i just felt like that was a cool i actually remember kind of where we were as we were writing like oh my goodness this changes you know the trajectory there so um yeah that that part of the message he he, Whatever, like he, leave, he leaves Egypt, he's now, he goes from being a murderer to being almost murdered and then departing and, you know, getting out to Midian, which is, you know, far away and goes, becomes a shepherd. Actually, again, there's some interesting things about Moses. He marries someone who's not a Hebrew or an Israelite, actually the daughter of a prophet of a different religion, I mean, a priest of a different religion, which is like itself sketchy. <laughs> But, I, I, and we'll we'll get to this when we get to the law, We it's easy to read back that like, oh, Moses, what are you doing? You know you're not supposed to marry
1: someone who's not a Jew. No, no. he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the law is not, it's not there yet. So God's going to use Moses to shape the foundations of Israel as we know it as a nation. But you're right, it's so easy to like, if you're familiar with theology and you're familiar with like Old Testament, you know, and, and the law and the nation of Israel, you're like, wow, what is he doing? Oh, wait, that hasn't been established yet.
0: Right. Yeah. And what do they know about God for sure? I don't know that we really know because there's obviously some standards that Israel is living by that Egypt is not. And they're following the one true God. But at this point, they don't even have a name for the one true God. Because it's not until the burning bush that God reveals himself as Yahweh. So yeah. they're following not an unnamed God. They're calling him God. And he's had plenty of direct interactions with the people of Israel through this time. And so maybe there's some degree of, you know, a moral code. And he clearly had given them, you know, direction throughout this time. But they don't even have a name for him. It's not until Moses of the burning bush that we interact with the first name Yahweh. So, um, yeah, that's just, it's easy to miss... Uh, diagnose whether or not this was a good move on, uh, on Moses's part, but, you know, at least he doesn't have multiple wives because that, that comes later and, and they knew better <laughs> anyway. Um, so he goes to Mount Horeb, which I think is, you know, in the story of the burning bush, I think it's fascinating that that ends up being right where they go. Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. So when we think of the 10 commandments and the giving of the law, that all occurs in Mount Sinai and that was not a random mountain, right? It's called the mountain of God. There Early in Exodus, and then again it's Mount Sinai later, and Moses doesn't lead them like randomly into the wilderness. he goes back home basically like he's like hey let's let's head over to my in-law's
1: place once we leave egypt <laughs> right that's probably one of his greatest downfalls, right? Like what are you going back to your in-law's place for, Moses, come on, man, <laughs> you know you got to go to the promise line. I guess his adopted family probably wasn't that great of a choice either, so he had to settle with his in-laws.
0: How many families does this dude have at this point? Uh, but anyway, so anyway, it brings it to Mount Horeb. And I think the burning bush, we didn't, you didn't have time really to get into that story much at all. I just think it's fascinating, you know, the idea of God giving himself a name. Um, I have a whole thing I would love to talk about if we had 100 years and everyone was bored out of their mind. We could talk about the name Yahweh and why we say Jehovah instead of Yahweh and why that's wrong and whatever. We could talk about that sometime. Maybe if maybe if we don't run out of time this this podcast, we can talk about it, but the, I just love that it's the same mountain. God confronts him here two
1: times at this critical juncture of his life. Well, um, even it says, he says, that's one of the signs. You'll come back to this mountain. He mm-hmm. says that in the text that we read is like, this will be a sign to you, Moses. Guess what? You're going to come back here and it's going to be a significant place uh, for you in the nation of Israel.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, you know, who knows, maybe someday we'll do another series on Exodus. We'll get to go to Sinai. We'll see. Who knows?
1: <laughs> I have I'm just friends that have rode camels up Mount Sinai.
0: There we go. I'm just just profit real quick. Just speaking it into the future. That assumes the possibility of international travel sometime in the future.
1: <laughs> yeah, our on-site sh- shots might be like Florida now. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I, I feel like God is stirring in my heart. Florida and winter.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see that. I I also feel that calling. It
1: is a really biblical place, so I mean, it's not where like we're gonna be lacking at all. So absolutely,
0: and the you know God needs witnesses even there. He says the harvest is plentiful. So <laughs> <That's right. laughs> anyway, you talked about who am I, uh, and we actually had a funny moment during the writing process where the point on Sunday morning that you said was you know Moses says um, I tried, God says I am, and then later on you said that who am I is the right question. That was your point on Sunday morning, is Who is I, Who am I is the right question. But actually in our writing process, originally it was the exact opposite of that. Who am I is the wrong question. So talk to me about like, how is it both the right question and the wrong question? And why did you decide to switch it from the wrong question to the right question?
1: Yeah. I mean, so you can play, it's like anything. You can make a statement and make it say whatever you want right? Mm-hmm. It's just the perspective or the angle that you look at from the statement. And so that's ultimately what we're doing. But I was looking at the storyline of Moses. And when he comes back to God, he's like, who am I? He'd been through that, that process in, in his life where he was a shepherd for 40 years, God had closed the gap. And so I view his, his question is like, God, I, I'm a nobody. And so to me, who am I is is really ultimately the question God wants from us when he comes and calls us. It's a recognition of like, God heh, can't do this without you. Who the heck am I that you would use me? I'm just an instrument. And so, hey, you better be involved in this because who am I? That's kind of what I was trying to get at is, man, Moses is realizing that. And if you compare it to the first time he went out and tried to do God's plan, in in his own way, he was like, I am who I am almost, you know, Moses is like, yeah, God, I I am the dude you're going to use. And it shows the perspective in that gap closing where now he's like, man, I'm just, I'm a shepherd. Right.
0: And so it's the right question if it's expressed as who am I that you would use me? You know yeah. what I mean? When it's a me-focused question, recognizing your own inadequacy, that's the right question. But we had originally written it as the wrong question, because I think that that's another helpful way to think about it, is if you're even considering your own capacity, who am I, God, to, to release the people from Israel? You're already focused on the wrong person. Right. So like, yeah. If you're asking, who am I, you're, you're in the wrong, you're, you're already thinking about this wrong. What you should be saying is, who is God? Like, yeah. not who am I, What, not what are my capacities, but who are you, God? And that's why this passage is so, one of the reasons this passage is so powerful is that the response to Moses saying, who am I that, that you know, that I could do this? I can't do it. And God's answer is, no, I am that I am. Like, you, don't worry about you. <laughs> you are not the relevant factor here. I am God. Mm-hmm. And I am the one who will bring my people up out of Israel. I made this promise to Abraham and I'll make it happen. You, in fact, if you just want like a quick taste, you know, put your hand in your jacket, pull it out. And, you know, he does these various miracles right then and there just to be like, yo, chill, I got this. Um, Just obey. If you're asking who am I, you're already in the wrong category. So it's interesting. uh, uh, Even at your pre-preach, the slide was wrong. I remember that because it was like, and you kept saying, it's the right question. And we're looking at the screen going, it says the wrong question. And I feel confused. Because that's not like a typo. That's the opposite word.
1: <laughs> yeah, right and wrong, are. there's no justifying those two together. <laughs> exactly.
0: So, I mean, obviously, I actually really like the way that you took it, because it, I think it better highlights the difference between Moses and his two yeah. approaches. But, I, you know, either way, it, it communicates
1: a similar concept, which is that at the end of the day, I am who I am ought to be the focus. Yeah, God is the focus. And that's who we need to be. Hold on one second. My son is coming in, everybody. My, my son is coming in our door. Even though it's pinned, he somehow figured out how to, like, undo the lock and come in. Hey, buddy, daddy's shooting a podcast. Can you go watch TV? I'll be right there, okay? Okay, I'll, I'll come help you in a second. All right? I love you. My Malachi, son.
0: the man, the man. And actually, um, you want to maybe shoot out a prayer request related to what was going on this week with him?
1: Well, Malachi had... Uh, Surgery, man, Friday. So, um, yeah, he had his tonsils and his adenoids removed. Uh, it's really a, a pre-surgery to the next surgery, which is the day before Thanksgiving. He's doing great. Um, the hard, honestly, the hardest thing right now for him is he's on a lot of he's on medicine that take away the pain in his throat. And so he thinks he's fine. And so he can't run for five weeks and he's all running around here. I'm like, buddy, you can't run. And so he thinks he's in trouble all the time. And I'm like, no, buddy, you're not in trouble. You didn't do anything wrong. I love you, but you can't run because you had surgery, you know, and he, he has to eat soft food. And so like the girls are eating like, you know, suckers and he's like, I want a sucker. I'm like nobody. How about some applesauce? He's like, no, I want a sucker. And I'm like, He's like, what did I do? And I'm like, you didn't do anything, buddy. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, Yeah, Try to convince a four-year-old that not being able to run and eating only applesauce isn't punishment. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Oh man. But what a champ, dude. That's, that's surgery number four or three. And he's got another one coming in a a month. So what a, what a, what a champ. Yeah. He's a man. That's awesome. But yeah, we'll be, we'll continue to be praying for you guys as you, as you walk through that. Um, and anyway, we're, we're nearing the end of this. Let's, let's look at what's coming this week for Moses, and then maybe I'll go on a little rant about Yahweh if we end up having time after we talk about what's coming this weekend.
1: <laughs>
0: yes. I'm dying to do it. You can't tell. I'm dying to talk about it. Uh.
1: Don't worry, I think everybody listening has a hundred years. So just, you know, go for it. Right. Okay.
0: Yeah. Guys, you're going to want to switch to two X here in just a second. Uh,
1: three. <laughs> um, what's coming up. We're in week three of Moses. We're going to look at the plagues uh, this weekend. So uh, digging into the plagues, not specifically, but the overarching, uh, how God used the plagues, what they did for Moses as a leader. And so we're kind of shifting from God preparing Moses as a leader and getting him ready to him being the leader of the nation of Israel. And so God working like, you know, he's He's worked in him, and now he's getting ready to work through him in some pretty miraculous and amazing ways. And so mm-hmm. we'll study the plagues and Passover. And I, I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, man, Passover is such an amazing thing.
0: That if you grew up in church, it's easy to like, oh yeah, and Passover and the tenth plague and blah blah blah. But like the the degree to which it's a foreshadowing of Christ and the power of that symbol, even today in Jewish life, um, yeah. I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. I think that's a that's one of my favorite parts of of Moses' story. Um, so that's coming up this weekend. Uh, and also, this will be the first i guess a kind of official weekend when things settle out related to our new um, campus pastoring role. so Mark has already started, but we 'll continue to be really digging into that online role i 'll be at Rochester starting this weekend, and you know kind of like officially there, and then Nate Miller at Webster so we 'll have the the three campus pastors we had before just pastoring different campuses than they were
1: <laughs> pastoring before um, minus just for, uh, for clarity, Nate Miller is still at Webster. Yeah.
0: <laughs> He's not moving anywhere. Um, and I can't remember if we talked about Regal. Did we talk about Regal on the podcast already?
1: I don't think we have. Because I, don't think so. I think it just came out.
0: Yep. Yeah. A crazy thing. And this is just, in some ways, just a cool confirmation from God as we were trying to, you know, Honestly, just guess. It's like, what's going to happen with movie theaters? And we didn't feel good about reopening because we weren't sure about what was going to happen. And it didn't look great for Regal, but we weren't sure. And literally, Saturday night, October 3rd, which was the day before we were supposed to reopen our movie theater campuses, uh, Regal, which it's owned by Cineworld, which is a UK company. They closed down all their locations in the United States and in Europe for Regal indefinitely the day before we would have been trying to reopen. So I just think like, we couldn't have known that was going to happen that way, but it was just such a great confirmation of an agonizingly hard decision having maybe been, you know, the right choice for us
1: right now. Yeah. I mean, all we can do is this, is thank God for that. I mean, I, I feel for the movie industry and man, that, it, that represents a lot of people's jobs, which yeah, which hurts, you know, people we know who we've you know served and cared for in the movie industry, which is not exciting news, but it's also, it just confirmation for, for where we're going and where we're, we're leading. And so we yeah. thank God for that, but we also pray for all of those people who have been affected by that decision. For sure. For sure.
0: And, you know, Mark and I, I'm sure we're both getting, you know, congratulations and new position and all that kind of stuff. And I keep telling people like, I'm really excited about what's next, but I also, when I think about what it is, I, I'm saying, I wish it I wish I didn't have a new job. I wish we, everything was still the way that it was. But man, knowing that the, the world we're living in right now, I'm thrilled about you know, what God sent in our way. Totally. I don't know how we got there, but let's go all the way back to the burning bush. I want to talk about Yahweh. We are at 20, let me see how long. Okay, 25, 24, 30, 24 minutes and
1: 30 seconds. And I'm going to do this as fast as I possibly can. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm going to get a pillow. I'm going to lean back. And, uh, if I fall asleep, everybody, I'm sorry. This is really interesting though.
0: Oh, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Okay, so um, Yahweh is uh, the name that we often use for the four-letter word. Okay, I'm going to throw, I'm just going to leave all caution to the wind and use all the big words. Okay, the Tetragrammaton is the four-letter.
1: Yes. <laughs> <Tetragrammaton>. <laughs> you went there. Okay. You just lost 40% of our
0: audience. Oh, my goodness. I don't even care. I'm going all in. Okay, <laughs> Yahweh, four letters, um, four Hebrew letters for Yahweh. That's We call it the Tetragrammaton or the four-letter name. For God. He reveals it for the first time to Israel in Exodus. Um, And so from then on, he's saying, You will call me Yahweh. When they ask you, send me, tell, when when they ask you, Moses, who sent you, say, I am that I am, has sent you. Yahweh, I am. And Yahweh means I am. Now, the interesting thing, where did we get the name Jehovah? Why do we say Jehovah instead of Yahweh? And if I look through my Old Testament, why don't I see the name Yahweh anywhere? Well, Yahweh is the personal name for God. So if you think about like Drew, his name is Drew. His title is pastor. Well, God's name is Yahweh, God the Father. His name is Yahweh, but his title is God, right? So that's how that works. Why don't I see it throughout the Old Testament? Well, in the, the Jewish way of thinking, in particular because of the commandment that says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, the third commandment, um, they were very, very careful to not use the name Yahweh in a profane way in order to avoid using it in a profane way. Eventually during the second temple period, which was the time from the return of exile up through the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, um, there was especially a superstition where they would not even say the name at all. Not, not would they not use it profanely? They wouldn't use it in any way. And in order to convey that idea in copying the old Testament scriptures, what they would do is rather than just write Yahweh, um, they would write Yahweh, but they would use the vowel points of a different word. So if you know anything about Hebrew, you know that there are consonants and vowels, and the vowels are actually added around the consonants. It's kind of a confusing system that was developed. And in order to, they would use the, the consonants from Yahweh, in transliterated YHWH, Yahweh, and they would use the um, vowel point from the word Adonai, which is the word Lord or Master. And so they would use the vowel points to indicate to the reader, when you come across this word, rather than saying Yahweh, our God, they would say the Lord, our God, which is Yahweh. I mean, Adonai, that's, that's the Lord. So in your Old Testament, if you see all caps, Lord, that means that that's actually the word Yahweh. If you see Lord not in all caps, that's the word Adonai. And so throughout the Old Testament, you'll see all caps or lower caps. That's how our English Bible indicates to you that it's either Yahweh or Adonai. And um, over time, as that made-up word of the four consonants of Yahweh and the vowels of Adonai got translated into English and German and other languages that were doing, you know, Old Testament Hebrew studies, there was a misunderstanding, basically, about the nature of what that word was. They thought it was one word, and so they put it together as, in German, Yehovah, or if they use it J because in German, the J is yeah. And then by the time it gets to English, it looks like Jehovah. So the word Jehovah, Jehovah is actually a made up word combining two words, Yahweh and Adonai and misunderstood from the German from Jehovah to Jehovah. So basically the word Jehovah doesn't exist. It's not a real name. Um, Yahweh is the word. So if you want to reference God, you can call him Yahweh. I wish that every New Testament, I mean, every English Bible would just stop, typing Lord and just put Yahweh. There's one major English translation that I know of, the Holman Christian Standard Bible that actually does that. And if you read all throughout the Old Testament, it actually says Yahweh instead of Lord. And I find that incredibly helpful because it actually gives you the personal name for God and you get to see it all throughout the Old Testament. But even the HCSB was updated recently to be the CSB and they took it out and they went back to Lord and I'm super mad about it. And that has taken four minutes
1: and 15 seconds and I'm done that was pretty good i'm not gonna lie i'm not sure i could explain that same stuff in four minutes i'm not sure people understood it no no it was actually really good
0: i'll try to find i'll try to find like a youtube video or something we can send in the equip email that explains it the same way i actually do know that there's one kind of funny one that does it so i'll see if i can get it included in the equip email and people will be like why is this goofy video in here and they'll have to listen to the podcast to find out but for those of you who are who have stuck with us for this long, you're amazing. We love you. This weekend is another great weekend of the series. Moses, thank you so much for listening, Drew. Thank you so much for staying awake. And hopefully, you did. Nobody was driving for that, so that they didn't fall asleep while driving, which would have been. <laughs> dangerous. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening, and we will catch you this weekend.